Guess what? Somebody say what? Oh, well, now that you asked, um, this will be the last day you see these crutches. Yeah. Like I told you before, the doctor said it's not going to heal, but you can try it. And uh, you'll have to have surgery, which was really a bummer. And now he's saying, well, it's healing nicely. So I get to start on a cane tomorrow for two weeks. And then after that, I dance. <laughs> you know, I'm not, not Canadians don't dance. They shiver. We, we don't we don't dance. That's that's too expressive and emotionally free. We're, we're the frozen chosen from the great white north. We don't dance. Hey, how are you guys doing? Are you good? Are you ready for the introduction to the book of John part two? Does anyone remember anything from last week? The message, the message. And we, we went through the characteristics of the coming of the message and we didn't define it. We still don't know what the message is. So I was hoping that you'd not sleep all week, filled with excitement about finding out what the, the message is. So today we're going to find out what the message is, but we're also going to review what we covered last week. There were eight points. And some people said they went by so fast they, they couldn't get them. And somebody said, send me the points. So I just send them the sermon notes and all was well. So anyway, here are the eight points. Number one, since before the existence of time and space, God had a message. Number two, the message was both God and with God. It was of God. But yet, at the same time, it was God, with God. Then the message was personified. John starts calling the message a he, which raises that really interesting question of how can, how can God be a message and at the same time the message is a person who is God but is apart from God? Some people struggle with the doctrine of the Trinity. This is where the doctrine of the Trinity arises. This first few sentences in the Gospel of John raises this really interesting question. How can, how can the message, which is God, which was with God before all time and space, how can that be a part of God and is God, but at the same time, there's a distinction. They're separate. There's, there's, there's two beings. And then he personifies it and says it's a he, which gets even more interesting. And then number four, through the message, our world was brought into existence. The Lord said, and it was. He merely has to think something, mutter it out loud, and it comes into being. Isn't it interesting? You, you started as a thought in God's mind. Wouldn't it be fun to make a Gary? Wouldn't it be fun to make a Kathy? Look, this is going to be a unique person. He thought of you and you came into being. It's, it's the, the, the power of his mind to simply think and matter exists. Incredible. Number five, the message is not merely truth. It's alive. It's a he. The message is alive 
And wherever the message comes, it brings life. So it's not just, uh, it's not just some abstract truth. It's not just some theological idea. The message actually imparts life. In fact, the message is the only source of life. All human life is derivative. It is not self-existent. It's dependent upon something that preceded it. It's dependent upon this message from God, which brought everything into existence and which gives us life. And apart from him thinking that you were a good idea, the molecules in your body would blow apart and you would be nothing. It's only his goodness that sustains your existence. Every breath that you take is a dependent breath on his thought that you are a good idea. Isn't that amazing? He's so, he's so, he's so good. So this message is alive. It brings life. And number six, the message brings truth to human life. The light. In the Bible, light is always equated with truth and darkness is always equated with falsehood. So when the light comes, truth comes and life comes. The message brings truth to human life. Without this message, humanity remains in darkness. Your ability... To perceive truth from falsehood is an ability given to you by God. If you were to take that away, you would not be able to discern truth from falsehood, good from bad. You would be completely and hopelessly lost. Hello? Now I'm just going to go off on a tangent here to explain something to you. First chapter of Romans talks about the consequences of not recognizing God as God. The consequences of not being thankful, not honoring him, and not recognizing God as God. And, he, and Paul outlines a descent of depravity that begins with independence from God and not honoring God and works down to something Paul says, he gave them over to a depraved mind. And what this means is he gave them over to an inability to perceive truth. So one of the consequences of moving away from God is to actually lose your ability to recognize facts as facts. Your thinking becomes darkened, is the word, and clouded. Even our ability to reason correctly, to perceive facts as they are and reach conclusions based on those facts, even that ability alone is dependent upon him. Apart from him, our minds would be mad. Apart from him, we would be the demonized people that Stephanie is talking about, who've lost their reason. Number seven, truth must be lived in a real life to be helpful to humanity. Abstract truth is of little use to answer the questions as to the meaning of human life. Only what actually works and can be lived is helpful. Isn't that interesting? We should never think of the Bible as a book of theology. 
ideas about God. Ideas about God are only as helpful as the experience of a living God in a living life. Only through what we experience with him and live with him is our life changed, not because of good ideas, but because of a real relationship with the real God. The only truth that makes any difference in your life is the truth you apply. Truth you don't apply leads to becoming jaded. Truth not applied actually hardens the heart towards more truth. Hello? Listen to me. This is very frightening. Truth you don't apply. No, listen. The Bible says no word that proceeds from the mouth of God comes back without effect. Hello? Everything he says, every truth he gives will have an effect in our lives. And the effect of a truth not applied is a a greater insensitivity to truth. I hear people say, well, God used to speak to me a lot when I was a new Christian, but I don't sense him speaking to me anymore. One of the answers to that may be you're not obeying him anymore and you don't apply what he's giving you in the first place. Why should he tell you more? Hello? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to spank. (laughs) I never decided to get like this. I'm just a nasty old man who hasn't walked for three months. (laughs) To, To stay in the light, we must apply the light. To receive more light, we want to live up to, into the truth we're already receiving. And we all know many, many times more truth than we're living. Here's a neat way to approach the Lord. Say, I know too much about you. I know way too much about you. I don't know enough of you. So I'm going to make you a deal, Jesus. I'm going to forget about most of what I know about you. And I'm going to ask you every day, what do you want me to do today? And some days, he's not going to say anything. Just live your life. But sometimes he'll say, I want you to talk to so-and-so. I want you to go over here and do this. I want you to take a casserole to so-and-so. I want you to help this person with this. I want you to spend some time with me doing this. When he says that, you do it no matter what. Because that's the truth. And it can be applied. And as you apply what he tells you to do... Your ear grows in its sensitivity to hearing his voice and you find yourself living truer to him all the time. And it doesn't become a life of theology and ideas about God. It becomes a living experience of God. And theology only makes sense when you've had life experience to understand it. Before I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I read the book of Acts and I thought, boy, that would make a great movie. And then I started to experience, I I saw a blind person healed. Uh, Seeing a blind person healed rocks your world. And then you see it in the Bible. And you realize, now I know what that looks like. Now I know how that works. The experience informs your theology and the theology makes your experience safe. We have to have the two working together. But you've got 
You've got to take some risks and you've got to obey what you think he's saying in order to tune your ear to hear more. Why should he tell you truth you're not going to live when it damages you to not live it, but you heard it? Does this make sense? Finally, the life and truth from God is coming. This is John's message. Actually, John's message is he's here. And it isn't it truth. It's a he truth. The source of all truth is here. And he's absolutely wonderful. And he's going to change everything. But that's not the message. That's the announcement of the message. The darkness, he says, the darkness cannot understand it. But neither can the darkness overcoming. The message is inevitable. The message is unstoppable. The message is invincible. It's coming. He's coming. He's going to be here. And it's going to change human history. And our calendar is going to be divided according to his birth. Well, that was the intro. You guys ready for some content? (laughs) Now comes the big change. John begins to refer to the word as a person exclusively. And he says this. He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, this is incredible. This truth, this life has entered the world. God has become a human being. And everybody, not everybody, but most of the people reject him. In rejecting him, they're rejecting the truth. In rejecting the truth, they're rejecting life. This is the essence of sin. Most of us have been raised with a ridiculous notion that sin is the bad things that you do. How many of you thought, have always thought sin is the bad things that I do? I mean, a lot of us think that. I thought that for decades. That's not sin. Sin is the rejection of God as God. Sin is the rejection of the message. It's the rejection of a person, not an idea. And only after you have rejected him will you find your behavior destructive. Once you reject him, you reject the source of truth in life. You're making the best decisions you can, but they're not working out. They become destructive. It's like a spiral. You don't know why because you're doing the you're doing the best you can, but you're doing the best you can without him. It's like saying, I'm going to wander through a dark room because I don't need the light. I've rejected my flashlight and left it outside. Now I'm going to make my way through this maze. Good luck. Life is a maze. Life is a cruel maze. And without life, without light in that maze, our best intentions to make good decisions are going to fail. Not because we intentionally went out to mess up and sin, but because we don't have the light to see our way through the maze of life. You can't reject God and think there are no consequences. He came to what his own and his own didn't receive him. Sin is not what you do. It is the rejection of God as God. You know, there's a phrase that drives me crazy. 
And I, I hear it from my non-Christian friends all the time. They say to me, all religions lead to God. Have you heard this? All religions lead, lead to God. Well, there's some truth in this. Here's the truth. All religions point to God. All religions want to find God. All religions recognize the need for God in our lives. These are all true. It is the desire of humanity to know God. If you don't have a God, you will make one. It will be your car. Or your house. Or your job. Or your reputation. Or your vacations. Or your family. You will find something to worship. All religions seek to know God. Religion is the human search for God. But listen, inherent in this search is a problem. If God is eternal and He is the Creator, then we as His creatures cannot know Him. Think about it. He is timeless eternity. He is perfect and complete power. He is complete and perfect, all-encompassing intelligence. He is timeless. He existed before the beginning of time and space. Every attribute he has is infinite. And you are going to understand him? We don't understand infinity, let alone the one in which infinity dwells. It would be like an ant crawling over the keyboard of a supercomputer and saying, I want to understand how this works. Actually, that's a pathetic example. That doesn't even come close to the wonder of God and the smallness of our minds. All religions point to God, but that is all they do. That is all they can do. For God, who is infinite and eternal, is not knowable by that which is created and stuck in time and space. And this is where all of the world's great religions reside worshiping a holiness and otherliness far beyond themselves, which is transcendent and wonderful, but not knowable. Worshipable in awe and reverence. The greatest architecture in human history is dedicated to attempting to synthesize a sense of God's awesome power. Have you ever been to the Vatican? It's incredible. And the temples? Magnificent. They're human attempts to try to communicate what we can't communicate because we can't fully understand it. It's transcendent. It's far beyond us. But God had something to say about himself. The message And he wants to get it across to us. And we cannot, in our own abilities, perceive it or understand. He is going to have to do something to communicate himself to us, or we will remain worshiping people with no real understanding of that which we worship. 
God wanted to reveal himself to people in a way that we could fully understand and recognize. Not only recognize, but relate to. He wants to communicate himself in a way that will actually somehow miraculously allow us to relate to a being which is beyond us. What a problem he has. He has a message about himself. It is the word. And it was translated into a new language which all humans can understand. He translated himself not into a language. He translated himself into us. He was a language we could not understand. And he translated us into a language we are. He became human. What magnificent humility. That in order to reach us, he said, I will become one of them so they can finally know me and have a relationship with me. And that relationship will change them forever. And it will be the hope and it will be the light and it will be the wisdom and it will be the guidance and it will be the security. It will be the purpose. It will be the meaning. It will be the significance that they crave. And I will be this for them. God becomes a man to show man what God is like in our own language. Here's the wonder of Jesus. Jesus is everything that God can be in a human. And the same time, everything a human can be in God. Isn't that wonderful? Everything that God can express it himself in a language we can understand, our own nature, our own humanity, everything he can do, he did it into Jesus, but yet everything that a human can be in God, he did that through Jesus. Jesus is the only bridge between God and man. That's why he can say with confidence, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the light. And anyone who comes to me, through me, can know the Father. Now all of this, this translation of God into our language, our humanity, was for a purpose. It isn't just to communicate, but it's to communicate for a purpose And here's the wonder, and here's the message. This is the whole point. Yet to all who received him, not had the right thoughts about him, but received him, coming into relationship with him, believing to those who believe in his name. And that phrase name is really important. We're going to look at that in a minute. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. To all who accept the word, to all who accept the message, who is a person, 
who is all we can understand of God in human form, to all who accept him, make him important to themselves, make him the center of their life, make him their example, make him the one they wish to serve. To them is given the right to become the children of God. See, accepting the message is the same as accepting the messenger because the messenger is the message. But we're accepting him. The verse says. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. Oh, there's such nonsense. People claiming things in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, a new BMW. In the name of Jesus, hair. People, I've tried it. It doesn't work. It hasn't yet. I don't think it ever will. The name of Jesus is not some crazy little incantational phrase we pop on the end of our latest fad. You know, when you believe into the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus describes who he is. It is his identity. It is his, 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 his agenda. It is his purpose. It is his mission. You are believing into everything about him that defines who he is for us. Here are some of the things you're believing into. Savior, Master, Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. You're believing into who he claims to be for your life. Savior. Everyone wants to believe in him to get saved. I believe in the insurance policy that is Jesus. I'm believing into an eternal security in a place with streets of gold, phenomenal food without calories or cholesterol. Everyone, everyone wants to believe into that. But there's more to his name than Savior. How about master? Well, that's awkward. I'm not sure I'm signing up for that. You can't not sign up for that. If you're believing into his name, you're believing into who he is. He's the master. Well, that's, that's challenging. No, it's much worse. He's the Lord. You have to believe he's the Lord. Now, the word doesn't mean much here because we don't have lords anymore. We're not England. So we think, well, Lord is maybe like your boss. You know, you serve him for eight hours, you go home and do what you like with the rest of your time. No, no, no. If he's the Lord, he owns you. You're screwed. (laughs) Blue. It's bad. People is really bad. He's the Lord. He's not the prime minister. He's not the president. He's He's the Lord. Wow. Thank God he's also a loving father. Thank God he's the best friend you ever had. Thank God he loves you more than you love yourself. Thank God he knows you better than you know yourself. Thank God his mind is perfect and he can direct you. Thank God he can save you from yourself. But you'd have to believe in him as your savior, your master, your Lord, your friend, your physician, your wisdom, your guidance, your hope, your security, your significance. But those who believe 
are given the right to become children of God. And the word right used there doesn't just mean permission. It means the power, the actual capability to be transformed into his spiritual children. But this also means that before he came, people could not become God's children. They did not have the ability to be his children. But now because they believe they're transformed, they're born of God by his life into his kids. Listen, the phrase born of God appears other places in John's writing. Here's one of them. Now listen, this is important. Here's one of the other places. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. This is so important. It's not they must not go on sinning. Now God's seed remains in you, so you've got to stop sinning. Good luck. No, God's seed is in you, so you can't go on sinning because they have been born of God. 1 John 3, 9. It's not just legally you're turned into his child. It's spiritually you have his DNA. The Greek word used there for seed is the word sperma, which we get the word sperm from. What John is saying by using this phrase born of God And that his sperm resides in us. He's saying that God has deposited his spiritual DNA, his sperm into us. And it begins a process of transformation that changes our spiritual human nature. Guys, it's fantastic. Gee, I wish I could be good enough to be God's child. Okay, I've got good news for you. That's, That's not relevant. Being good enough isn't the issue. Receiving him is the issue. And once you receive him, he begins a spiritual DNA transfer. It's like a bone marrow transfer, but it doesn't hurt. It's God's stem cell taking root in you, changing your very nature. You you really do become his children. You really do become his child. We slowly take on his character. There becomes a family resemblance. His spirit comes to live within us and slowly, with our cooperation, transforms our character into his. We actually acquire his nature. People say nice things about me. I know it's hard to believe. But they do. I, my, books, my first book's just translated into Spanish, and I asked a pastor down there, very, very fine theologian, if he would do the foreword to the book, and I just got it back three or four days ago. It is the kindest, most gracious praise I've ever received in my life. And I find myself saying, that's not me. That's not possible. But I know him, and he's, he doesn't shine you on. I mean, he's a real integrity guy. He sees something in me I don't see in myself. He is seeing the work of God transforming me into God's child. I just see same selfish mark. But there is a transformation taking place that I have to believe in because there's evidence somewhere that it's happening. Same for you. Same for you. 
We look at ourselves on the inside and we see so much failure and self-centeredness and so many things to criticize. You know what God sees? A work in progress which he is passionately committed to and he is easy to please and hard to satisfy. He's easy to please with every little change that you adopt and agree to and apply into your life. Every little bit of truth. He claps his hands and says, this is fantastic, but we're not done. I'm so proud of you, but we're not done. And you say, when will we be done? And he says, probably never. (laughs) Three seconds after your death, we can call it quits. He's easy to please, but he's hard to satisfy. And he's living in you now, and he's committed to your transformation. And you're becoming every day a little more like the family you've been adopted into. Is this good news or what? Jesus was and is God's message to humanity. He's God revealed in our language. We no longer have to wonder what God is like because we've seen him with our own eyes. Jesus really is truly God. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Hebrews 1.3 To me, it's almost incomprehensible that his purpose was to communicate himself to me so I could become his child. It's hard to believe because it's sort of too good to be true, but it's true. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Guys, does that verse rock your world? If that verse doesn't rock your world, you don't get it. Let's just read it again. Let's read it this way. Let's put a me into it. Okay, ready? For he chose me in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, He predestined me to be adopted as his daughter through Jesus Christ in accordance with his in accordance with his tolerance. In accordance with his putting up with me. He really didn't want to do it, but Jesus begged grumpy old dad to do it. So grumpy old dad gave Jesus the keys to the car to drive out and pick us up and save us. But grumpy old dad's kind of annoyed about it and they they, they have a few words here and there and there's some tension in the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit says, I don't know that I want to go down and live in those people. This smelly and it's dark and clammy and there's spiders and stuff in their hearts and it hasn't been cleaned out in years ever. Tension in the Trinity. Film at 11. For he chose us 
in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love with me, he predestined me to be adopted and transformed as his son through the message he sent in accordance with his pleasure and his choice so that I can praise his incredible, lavish kindness, which he has so freely, ridiculously, and in my opinion, unwisely given me in the one he loves. I don't know. it, It doesn't get better than this. This is as good as it gets. This is everything you've ever needed. This is a new identity which will make you happy forever. You'll never be alone. You'll never wonder who I really am. Your identity is secure and deep. Built on bedrock. Unchanging by your own failures. You can't change your adoption by your frustration with it. Even if you want to. The word became flesh, made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, patience, gentleness, and truth. So if you're sitting here today and you've been wondering, where do I stand with God? But you've given yourself to him and you've accepted Jesus for who he is. But you wonder sometimes, where am I standing with God? How does he feel about me? Are we okay? No, you're not okay. You're perfect. It's not okay. It's perfect. Because of Him. And if you're sitting here today, and this whole thing is shocking, these ideas are ridiculous, but something in your heart says, sure wish it were true. Sure wish it were true. And you want to find out if it is. You want to know does this really work? then maybe this morning is the time to accept the message. And just muster up enough belief to say, God, the message is so good I'd give anything for it to be true. But I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical. But I'm willing to give you a try. Because I'd like it to be true. And I want to come. And to the greatest ability that I'm free, I want to give myself to you today. I know I'm bound up. I I know there's places in my selfishness where I'm not even free of my own selfishness. But I want to give myself to you as much as I possibly can. Because I want this to be true. Because something about it is so incredibly attractive. Something inside of me recognizes truth. And I want it.
And I realize there's a cost. I need to give myself to you as the Lord of my life. Not just the one that saves me. I want you to be my master. I want you to guide and direct me. I'm willing to give up control of my life to start trusting you with my major decisions and a bunch of minor ones too. In fact, I want you in every aspect of my life and I'm prepared for that. I don't think I'm going to do it very well, but this is what I want. Close our eyes. Let's everybody close your eyes so we're not looking at one another. If these words of invitation are striking you as, yes, that's what I want, and you do want to know him, you want to know God and you want to be adopted into his family, and you're ready to give yourself to him to the best of your ability, put up your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray you touch everyone with their hand up. Jesus says about you that you're the one that witnesses to us, provides evidence at the core of our being that we really are your children. Holy Spirit, I invite you to provide that evidence this morning. Not just to those with their hands up, but, but to every single person here who's ever had a wonder or a doubt about their identity in you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll touch their hearts. That you'll speak to them. That you'll assure them of their standing with their Heavenly Father. Now listen to what he says. take a minute and worship together. There's a song that really, really fits this message. We can sing it together.